This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. And time now for our weekly look at the tech sector, which seemingly is always making news. With more, we're joined uh, right now by Roger Chang, who's editor-in-chief for CNET. Roger, thanks for your time. And I guess let's start with T-Mobile and Sprint. Uh, The FCC kind of giving its go-ahead last week about this. Uh, From the business side, what what should we expect to see when, uh, when this all gets done? Well, keep in mind this deal is not uh, its not a done deal yet. The yep. FCC and the DOJ have approved it, but there are still a number of states out there that are suing to block this deal. And what uh, T-Mobile actually held an event last week to give us a little bit of a taste of what we can expect from this combined business, they announced three new programs. One is a $15 a month phone plan, uh, really designed for uh, low-income folks or folks on a budget. Uh, as they also vowed to connect 10 million households with children with uh, home broadband using their 5G network uh, or 4G network. Uh, and lastly, uh, connecting first responders with uh, free service for 10 years. So a couple of bold moves, uh, really an attempt to uh, pressure regulators at this point, the state's, uh, state attorneys general's to approve this deal and and get the the sprint deal closed. Well, obviously the the part of of trying to help underserved people is is a big issue whether you're talking about the internet or wireless service and to be able to do a a program where you're offering $15 a month plans, I think would resonate with a lot of people across the US. I think so. This is uh, this definitely lowers the cost of entry for wireless service. Uh, there are lifeline programs that are cheaper, but not everyone qualifies for those. Uh, and, and this is, and keep in mind, it's fairly limited. You get about two gigabytes of data, and after that, you're kind of capped out. But uh, for folks who are on a budget, who aren't power users or even average users, but just need a wireless service, uh, that's really an attractive way to get into this. It's half the price of their cheapest plan now. What would be the impact, though, and you still have to deal with the issue of those areas of the country that, that have very little, if any, service uh, around the United States? I think that's one of the big questions that T-Mobile needs to answer. I know that they've committed to building out their network. You know, they've got uh, a particularly strong cache of spectrum radio airwaves that can go long distances that means that they can build out in those areas, but historically, rural areas have had sort of the short end of the stick when it comes to wireless coverage. So, having uh, you know, we'll see if T-Mobile actually kind of commits uh, and actually builds out the coverage in rural areas, which continue to be a real problem right now. We are joined by Roger Chang, who's executive editor for CNET. You're listening to Wharton Business Daily here on Sirius XM 132. What kind of impact then potentially are we looking at on their competition, AT&T and Verizon? Well, this is, uh, you know, it's, it's a little unclear initially. AT&T, I've talked to AT&T and Verizon about this. You know, I think they're hopeful that the distractions of integrating these two large businesses sprint while it's it's definitely seen much better days. It's still a huge business, and integrating that into T-Mobile is going to take a bit of time. Um, but you've sort of looked at if you look at it historically, T-Mobile has definitely taken a large chunk out of AT&T and Verizon. Those are two very large companies right now. T-Mobile is much smaller, relatively speaking. But uh, over the last four years or so, they've shown that they've consistently outgrown those bigger players by taking away uh, some of their, their most loyal customers. 
What is the expectation then uh, of T-Mobile? And obviously, uh, Mr. Laguerre, the, the head of T-Mobile, very uh, very much out front with promoting the company. Uh, what kind of growth does he expect to see? Obviously, these are, are, are programs that are designed to build growth, but I think you also have to look at just generic growth of T-Mobile and Sprint in terms of the customers they already have and where they can expand those those profitable areas as well. That's for sure. I mean, look, there's been a question about growth in the industry for a while now. Most, a lot of folks, pretty much everyone has a wireless service of some sort. So uh, the growth will come in, in two different ways, right? They're, you know, they're looking to catch new customers with their 5G service, but they're really also looking to continue to take share from uh, their, their, their large competitors, from Verizon and AT&T, which have traditionally been a source of growth for, for T-Mobile. Let's turn uh, our attention to uh, Singles Day, which is going on right now. Big blowout business in China with Alibaba. And, and I wanted to get your impact and feeling uh, feelings on the impact here in the United States uh, and where where Singles Day may be able to have a future impact down the road. It's, uh, it's unclear whether it has an impact outside of China. This has been a thing for a really long time, right? The Singles Day actually started back in 1993. Um, it's, and it's, as you can probably figure out, it's November 11th, so 11-11. They wanted to go with all ones, which is why single day is, is on, single day is today. Um, but keep in mind, today is also Veteran Day. That's I think that's largely why in the, in the U.S. and really elsewhere it hasn't taken off. Uh, it hasn't been a phenomenon that it, that it is in China. Uh, it, you know, it's helped a lot by large retail giants like Alibaba and JD. You know, they really make this a big event, you know, similar to, akin to our Black Friday or our, our Cyber Monday. It's really a, it's a, really a time to, uh, to buy things. And so I don't know if it uh, will ever translate into something that, that goes outside of China. And here in the U.S., you know, we've got Black Friday, we've got Cyber Monday, we've got Christmas Shop, but we've got all these other designated days. We have Prime Day in the summer. Um, that I don't know if we necessarily need another day where we hysterically run out and shop. <laughs> We're joined by Roger Chang of CNET. He's the executive editor there. You're listening to Wharton Business Daily on Sirius XM 132. Instagram uh, making some news. Uh, they had established the program that they were trying out in other parts of the world, hiding the likes uh, of users uh, as they saw that as a potential issue uh, socially. Uh, they're going to try and start doing this with some of their users here in the U.S. coming up. Yes. Starting this week, at some point, they're going to start uh, disabling the likes of your posts and, and your, you know, your video posts. Uh, and, and really, this is the idea here is to kind of remove the metric and, and relieve the pressure that you might feel on, on having a post that performs well or doesn't uh, perform well. Um, you know, the idea being like you post something and, and if you you know, you see 50 likes, it gives you a nice little uh, adrenaline hit there. Or conversely, if you're not getting a lot of likes, you, you know, you, you feel kind of, you feel like you, you underperformed, right? And so the idea here is remove all that uh, and, and really kind of like set an equal bar and so the, and then basically de-emphasize these likes. But seemingly, I would imagine Instagram has to feel pretty good about their sampling so far in other parts of the world. Yeah, and this is look. This is a good PR move for them. You know, there's been a lot of discussion about just how uh, how connected or how uh, uh, addicted we are to technology, right? To social networks, in particular, social networks that are had traditionally been designed to keep 
you on their sites for as long as possible, and likes is a key part of it. You know, there's there are folks who express concerns, investors who express concern that by removing some of these elements, you're you know you're you're removing some of the stickiness of the site. Uh, and, and the company says, you know, this is this is really done in an effort to improve uh, a user's well-being, particularly teenagers, particularly um, younger folks. And so, if you know, even if it if they take a hit on their business, they're they're, you know, they're willing to take that hit. Moving on, uh, you have also recently talked about Apple and its long-term success, and, and really the question being, can they be more than just the company that is known for the iPhone? Mm. Yeah, that, and that's really been the big question for a while now. And they've been uh, they've been kind of trotting out this storyline that they they are more than just the iPhone. They're they're all about services, right? They take their services uh, business alone, and they're you know they're a Fortune 500 company uh, or Fortune 100 at this point. Um, and, and you're seeing it with some of the services that they've launched recently: Apple Arcade, their gaming service, uh, Apple TV Plus, which just launched recently. Uh, so you, you know you're you're seeing a company that's trying to transform itself. Uh, keep in mind, it, it, this is definitely still, if you just look at the numbers, it is still an iPhone company. Uh, almost two-thirds of its revenue is generated by the iPhone. But the sales are falling, and I think they see the writing on the wall, and they see that services offers a potentially uh, new growth engine for them. The, the sales might be falling, but the stock price keeps rising, which, which, which is kind of amazing. Yeah, well, if you if you saw the sales from the last quarter, uh, sales did not do as well as expected, or it it, it was disappointing, but uh, profitability was still strong, and I think that's uh, why investors are cutting them some slack is that they are able to figure out more profitable businesses, uh, even if the you know rep, the 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 units of iPhones which they ha- they haven't disclosed in a while, even if they're in decline, you know they're still making more money off these iPhones than ever before. Uh, tack on that, these additional services, beyond even Apple TV Plus and Apple Arcade. You know, you've got things like iCloud, Apple Music, uh, you know, the App Store. These are still businesses that are cranking out money. Uh, and, and, you know, if you're looking in the, the tech world, there are few better investment uh, opportunities right now. I think that's why the stock is doing so well. Uh, and it doesn't have the same baggage as a, as a company like Facebook or Google, which is dealing with all kinds of other issues. But what does this also say about Tim Cook in general and the job that he has done as CEO of Apple? Well, look, he's often knocked as not being Steve Jobs, and you know I, I think that's uh, that that might be a little unfair. He's he's definitely more of an operations guy, but he has the company kind of running smoothly. Uh, you know, sure, the, there aren't the sheer number of grain, groundbreaking products that we saw under Steve Jobs. Um, but, you know, in terms of expanding the lineup, expanding into new areas, you know, he's taking this company into into new directions. And, and as you mentioned, that crossover of products and, and obviously other partnerships with other entities, especially on the media side, could very well be a, a, that part of that revenue driver that uh, that he's looking for in the years to come. Absolutely. I think Tim Cook is an extremely smart man and, and is sort of looking at every place possible where he can generate more revenue. Roger, thanks very much for your time. All the best. Thanks for having me. Roger Chang, executive editor at CNET, joining us here on the show. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.